Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you are our guest, we are reading, plotting, plowing through the Bible. We started in September reading through the Bible, and um, I hope that you have caught up. If you've not, if you've not, if you're behind, some of you told me you're still stuck in Isaiah. Well, you're way behind, but that's okay. Just keep reading. Next two weeks, we'll look at Palm Sunday next week and have the Lord's Supper, and then the following Sunday's Easter. Then we'll get back to the Minor Prophets. We're just about done with the Old Testament. Today, we're going to focus, or you're going to start reading in Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. The good news is that's not very much, especially if you've been reading Isaiah and Jeremiah. Let me give you just a brief overview of Nahum and, um, did I say Nahum? Okay, I was afraid I said Naaman. It's Nahum Uh, and Zephaniah, and I want to focus on Habakkuk today. And then you'll, you'll have the notion you'll be reading this week. Nahum, his name means consolation or comfort. And he lived during the reign of good king Hezekiah and also at the same time of Isaiah. The New Testament headquarters of, of Jesus in Galilee was, we call it Capernaum. But actually, uh, our guide when we're over there calls it Capernaum because the, the name means the village of Nahum. And a lot of scholars believe that that village where Jesus had his headquarters in Galilee is actually named after Nahum. Now, Nahum's, when you read it, it's only three chapters, but it is beginning in verse eight of chapter one. It's just nothing but doom and gloom for Assyria. He spells the death knell for Nineveh. A hundred years prior to this, Jonah went to Nineveh and the Syrians came to God. But here a hundred years later, they are no longer following God. Isn't it amazing how generations drift away? You know, we're only just one generation away from not following God in this nation. We're we're well on the way, but fortunately we've got to keep telling the next generation about, about Jesus. But he brought a, 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 a message of judgment to Assyria, saying that God is going to destroy a godless nation. Now, in the book of Zephaniah, I'm gonna skip over Habakkuk for a moment. Zephaniah, his name means he whom Jehovah has hidden. We don't know a lot about Zephaniah. He was a prophet to Judah but he's the great-great-grandson of Hezekiah. So he may have been a prince in the royal house of Judah. This book has a very serious tone to it also because it talks about God's character and God's holiness and that God is going to deal with sin, how he cannot look upon sin. Of course, in the last chapter, it talks about the restoration of Israel. So you can break Zephaniah down into three parts. The first chapter through chapter two, verse three, talks about judgment that's going to fall on Judah because of their sin. 
And then beginning in chapter two, verse four, to chapter three, verse eight, it's the judgment of the surrounding nations. And then the rest of chapter three, verses nine through 20, talks about the restoration of Israel. Now you'll read about those, and, and I've been talking to you about how the Assyrians took the northern kingdom of Israel in 721, and the Babylonians took the southern kingdom in 586, and all of these guys are predicting all of that. Now today, we're going to look at Habakkuk, and I'm going to do something I normally don't do. I'm going to, use, I'm going to preach through the whole book. And I did it last week. Of course, Obadiah was only 21 verses. But today, Habakkuk, there's really a progression beginning in, verse, in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And I really believe that you're going to relate to how Habakkuk feels. At least part of it you're going to be able to relate to. He was the last of the minor prophets prophesying before the Babylonians came in 606 and took some of the captives before they came back in 586. But they, they, um, he was the last one, just like Micah was the last one before the Assyrians came and took the northern kingdom. He was uh, a frustrated man because he was a, a man that feared God and, and wanted to serve God, but he saw Judah and all that was going on in that nation. He saw them turning from God. He saw them turning to idols. He saw them having prosperity and yet turning away from God. And actually, Judah was declining as a nation, but there was a nation not far from them that was increasing. And that nation was Babylon. And Habakkuk knew that he had Abraham's blood running through him and his people and he knew that God had protected Israel, Judah for so many years and put a hedge of protection around them but he also saw that this nation Babylon was growing and he feared about what was going to happen and of course he's upset about it and he begins to cry out to God. Now it's not unusual for people to get to that place because you're gonna find this, you've been to that place. You're gonna ask, why God? Why are you letting this happen? Why did this happen? So the first chapter, the first thing we see is genuine perplexity, some anxiety. Look at verse one. Now you're gonna keep your Bibles open because I'm gonna be referring back to them as we go through quickly. I can't cover every verse, but I'm gonna jump from chapter to chapter here. But verse one says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, or the vision, which was a burden. The Bible is full of examples of people who came to the point in life where they wondered, what's going on, God? Elijah, for example, went and hid in a cave because life was not going like he wanted it to, and he asked God to take his life. Jeremiah got mad at God and told him he was gonna quit preaching. Job, now you think, well, you've always heard of the patience of Job. Well, even Job's patience had a limit. He didn't ever curse God, but there was a time when he basically said, if I only knew where to find God, I would go to his dwelling and I would state my case before him with my mouth full of arguments. In other words, I'd like to see you, God, and I'd like to at least find out what's going on in my life. Well, we all know about those kind of places. Maybe you've been a financial problem. Maybe you've had a, a, somebody that you know has had a sickness and you've prayed for God to heal them. Nothing happened. Maybe you're wondering, well, Lord, 
all I see around me is, is problems. And, and what, where are you? And then before you know it, you start, you start thinking thoughts or, or maybe Satan whispers in your ear and says, well, you know, God really doesn't care about you. And if he did care, he really can't do anything about it. Have you ever come to the place where you said, God, what's going on? That's where Habakkuk is. In fact, if you'll look, he is burdened and he assumes several things. Look at verse two. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. You see, the first thing he assumes is that God is being indifferent, that he doesn't really care, that he's not listening. It's interesting, he uses the word cry two times. The first time the word cry is used, it means to ask for help. But the second time it's used, it means to shout it. In other words, you can almost see him getting angry. Now, you can't tell me that you hadn't felt that way. He begins by saying, God, where are you? What's going on? The second time he's going, God, what's the deal? Where are you? That's how it's written. He's angry. Where are you, God? You ever been that way? Now, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but uh, I know you'd be lying if you didn't raise your hand because you, there's been some time in your life you've wondered, Lord, where are you in all of this? So he assumes that God is being indifferent. Now, go on and look at verse three. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble for plundering and violence are before me? There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. In other words, God, why are you being idle? Why are you not doing anything? You're sitting still. It seems like God's up there with his arms folding and folding and he's not doing a, a, a anything. Lord, haven't you noticed what's going on down here? Have you noticed the mess that we're in? Have you noticed all the injustice going on? Have you noticed all the wickedness? Have you noticed all the greed? Have you noticed all of the, the racism and the pornography and the drugs and the materialism and the dishonesty? And God, you're the only one that can do something about it and why aren't you doing it? You get the picture? You ever felt that way? I mean, look at our world. Lord, you're the only one that can fix this. Why are you staying so silent? Why are you not doing anything? Well, God answers him in verse five, but he doesn't like what he hears. In verse five, the Lord's reply, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, a bitter, which means cruel, and a hasty, which means swift, nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are also swifter than leopards and so forth. And he describes them all the way down through verse 11. And so what is... What does Habakkuk see? He sees God's inconsistencies. In other words, God, you know what's going on, and God answers him and says, yeah, I know what's going on. In fact, the Babylonians are getting stronger, and the Babylonians are gonna come 
and take over you. Now he begins to argue with God in verse 12. Look at it. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours, get this, a person more righteous than he? In other words, God, now this is a loose, loose paraphrase. And I mean loose paraphrase. God, we're the good guys, and I know we got our problems, but they're so much worse than we are. Why are you letting them get stronger to take over us? We're your children. Now, that's basically what he says. Folks, I want to remind you of something here. This is worth writing down. We live... We do not live by explanations from God. We live by promises from God. Because God does not always explain to you and me everything he's doing. In fact, I've got a lot of whys I won't answer one day. Why did this happen? Why, God, why, why, why? After all, I'm trying to serve you. I go to church every week. Why, God, why is this happening? And so you see in in chapter one, he's shouting at God, he's arguing with God, he is complaining, this must have been, he was more like a Baptist than any other time in his life right here. (laughs) Not just a Baptist, all of us. We're human, we think like that. Now, in chapter two, God gives him some perspective here. He's reminded of God's providence or God's awareness. Look at chapter two, verse one. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Now, the word watch, I'm I'm reading out of a New King James translation. The word watch means watchtower. Back in Bible days, cities many times had walls and gates around them, and many times had those ramparts or those watchtowers that were, a lot of times it was dirt that was built up higher, but you could get up on top and you could see caravans that were bringing in supplies, or you could see enemies that were coming to attack the city, and so Habakkuk goes up on the watchtower. He goes to the place where he can not be distracted. In other words, it was a way you could get away from everybody and everything and get a higher perspective. Well, folks, let me tell you, that's what we need to do when we start having these kinds of thoughts and these doubts and these questions. We need to get where we can get a higher perspective. You need to get up there where you can listen to God because now he stops shouting at God and begins to listen to God. We need to do that too, don't we? <laughs> I mean, let's just face it. There are times when we want to tell God how to run the universe. And, you, and I read somebody who said that you may have a better plan, you just don't have a universe. <laughs> so let God run his universe. God showed him three things. 
Look at verse two. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it for the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. He tells Habakkuk to write this down. I'm about to give you revelation. I'm about to give you this vision. I want you to write it down because even though you may not understand it all, it may not be for right now, it's going to be for later, but it will happen. So what is he showing? He's telling Habakkuk, my word is reliable. It's going to happen. I'm not going to lie. It, it may not happen when you understand it. So why did Habakkuk write it down? God had him write it down because he knew one day in Lubbock, Texas, there'd be people like you and me reading it. In verse three, did you notice the phrase appointed time? God is concerned with timing, not time. Did you hear me? Time is immaterial to God. Time doesn't mean anything to him. We're not made for time. We're made for eternity. So eternity, time means nothing to, nothing to God, but timing is everything. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die. At an appointed time, you and I are gonna die. God knows when that is, I don't. Paul wrote in Galatians, in the fullness of time, God sent his son to redeem. At just the appointed time, Jesus Christ appeared in the flesh, was born. And we celebrate at Christmas time. God is concerned about timing. And since he is sovereign, there's no accidents. There are appointments. Now, you need to understand this. Just because God delays doesn't mean he's denied he hasn't answered Habakkuk the way he wants him, or the way Habakkuk wants him to answer. God basically says, I'll do things my way in my time. I won't hurry. I'm not going to be pushed. I'll act, and when I do, I'm going to do the right thing. Now, sometimes you and I need to understand that it may not happen when we want it to, and we have to trust God's word. We have to trust him. It's reliable. It does not lie. That's why he said, I'm going to tell you to write this down. It will be for an appointed time. It will happen. It will, I will not lie. It will not tarry. It will happen. The word wait means to be patient in persistence. Don't give up on God. Go to your watchtower. You know what a buzzard is? Y'all know what a buzzard is? A buzzard is a bird that only its mother could love. <laughs> I've been close enough to them. They're ugly. But did you know, and, and you see them, and I've always wanted to fly like one of them. I don't want to look like one of them, but I want to fly like one of them. You see them soaring up on the, you know, they just sort of glide up in the wind currents. They're looking for, they're looking for dead people. Or, or dead things, not dead people. <laughs> I'm, I'm always worried when they fly over church service, they may swoop down on a couple of people that look dead. Um, 
Let me tell you, did you know though, if you put a buzzard in a six by eight pen, a six by eight pen with no top on it, he can't fly out of it. You keep him in there. He won't go anywhere. He won't even try. Because he has to have 10 to 12 feet of running to get up off the ground. The little bats that fly at night, catching insects. If one of them ever lands on the, falls on the ground, any surface, flat surface, they can't fly. They have to crawl around until they can pull themselves up on something to drop off to fly. Bumblebee. Bumblebee, you can put a bumblebee in a container with no lid on it, he'll never get out. Because all he does is try to get out from the bottom. So what can you learn from a buzzard and a bat and a bumblebee? I didn't mean for that to be alliterated like it is. <laughs> you see, as long as you try to find your way out from the bottom or keep your eye level here, you're not ever gonna find your way out. But when you start looking up to the Lord, you begin to change your mind and have your attitude changed and your life changes. God has an, an appointed time during the beginning and end of our life. There may be some dark times but you need to hang on to the reliability of God's word. It does not lie. It will happen like he said it will happen. The second thing. In fact, we sing a song that says something like this. Have, have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches or his own. He will not fail or cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. You've got to come to the place where you say, I'm going to stand on God's word regardless of the appearance or the circumstances of the moment. Look at verse four, chapter two. God begins to talk about the sinner and God reminds him of the reality or the realization of God's coming wrath. In other words, Habakkuk, Habakkuk has said, God, don't you see all the stuff that's going on? Well, let me just quote a few parts of this verse because in verse six, God says, woe to him. In verse nine, he says, woe to him. In verse 12, woe to him. In verse 15, woe to him. In verse 19, woe to him. In verse six, he speaks of dishonesty. In verse nine, he speaks of greed. In verse 12, he speaks of violence. In verse 15, he speaks of immorality. In verse 19, he speaks of idolatry. In other words, God is saying, Habakkuk, I see it all. I've not missed one thing. I know what's going on. I see all sin. Now that's a sobering thought, isn't it? Because a lot of people today have the idea that God's sort of gotten soft on sin. That, you know, he's, he's, he's much older now. Like it really, like, yeah. they think, well, you know, he's, he just, it's, he doesn't mean what he used to. And Habakkuk says, look, I know what the Babylonians are doing. And their day's coming. Amen. Judgment will fall unless they repent, obviously. Well, if you're listening to me online or you see this on television later or if you are in this room and you think that you're getting by with sin, God knows. He does. Now, 
Jesus Christ has covered our sin. We've been forgiven of our sin and we're not going to face the wrath of God. But if you have not come to Jesus Christ, my friends, you're going to face the wrath of God one day. God says it's going to happen. Habakkuk, you need to realize the wrath is coming one day on those who don't know and don't follow me. Think of all these people. We, you, I, I guarantee you, you've wondered, Lord, how come all of these people out here that don't acknowledge you, they don't have anything to do with you, how come, how come they, they're wealthy? How come they get all the stuff? And how come they seem to be blessed on this earth? And, and they don't acknowledge you. In fact, they curse you and they laugh at you and they make fun of Christians and so forth. And you, God, are you seeing all of this? And he's saying, oh yeah, I see it. He said, this is as good as it's ever going to be for them on this earth or in eternity unless they come to Christ. So if you're a person without Jesus, you need to understand you're not getting by with anything. You're not going to slip past God. He sees it all. He was telling Habakkuk, their day's coming. And then he gives Habakkuk, I think, one of the greatest things. He, he reminds Habakkuk of where God is. Verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. In other words, there is no panic in heaven. God is still on the throne. God is still in control. Anytime you want to say amen, it'll be great. God's still in heaven knowing everything that's going on. He didn't sit back and say, you know, well, I, sorry, the world's out of control. It just sort of got out of hand. Oh, God still knows what's going on. So, you've got him down in the dumps in chapter one. Questioning, shouting, complaining, telling God how to run things. Chapter two, he stops shouting, he starts listening. God says, you can trust my word. There's gonna be retribution for sin one day and I'm still on the throne. And so then what does that lead him to in chapter three? He begins to praise God in chapter three. His attitude changes. Now look at verse one of chapter three. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. Y'all know what that is, don't you? So I'm not even gonna explain that to you. Actually, nobody knows what that means. Nobody knows, really. Some think it's a musical instrument. I don't. I believe, like most of the scholars I've read, they, they think it is a Hebrew word which means deep feeling. This isn't your ordinary uh, prayer that you quote out of memory all the time. He said, this is a deep feeling. And, and the word on, which is in verse one, on Shigianoth, it means according to a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to deep feeling. In other words, it's serious. You want to learn how to praise in dark days, you come to God with deep feeling and saying, God, I really want you to help me here. In all of my questions and all of my perplexity and all of my anxiety, I need your help. And so God does that for Habakkuk. The first thing he does is help him remember 
God's majesty. In fact, when you read verses 1 through 11, and I don't have time to read it, it, does, it doesn't state what God does. It states who God is. Most of the time, we want God to do something for us instead of focusing on who he is. You see the majesty of God. You see that he is, his ways are higher than our ways. I especially want to call your attention to verse three. God came from Teman, the holy one from Mount Paran, Selah. You ever seen that word Selah before? Where do you see that word? In the Psalms. In fact, this is the only other book in the Bible that has the word Selah in it. What does that mean? Well, Selah was used by the psalmist many times. It's the same thing in the Psalms as a rest is in music. If you read music, you know what a rest looks like. You, you, there's, a, there's a pause there. Well, Selah means pause and think about it. Dwell on it, meditate on it. Stop here a minute, think about this. God who came, the one who came from Mount Sinai, this Mount Paran, this is where the thunderings and the lightnings were, and he's reminding of God's majesty and who God is and he's creator. Stop and think about it. We sometimes think God's out of touch. We, we think that he doesn't know what's going on. The very hairs on your head are numbered. He knows everything about you. He created you. Think about it. Think about who God is. Think about how he loves you. Think how he saved you. Think what he's done for you. Think about it. Remember God. He hasn't left you. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. In those times when you think he left you and you're mad at him, he hadn't left you. Remember him. Think about it. In verse 12 and 13, you marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from the foundation to neck. Selah. There's that word again. He speaks of God's power. He's re reflecting on God's power. Look, God, you can do anything. You bring salvation. You see... Habakkuk now forgets the question why and turns his attention to who. Look at verse 16. When I heard, my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself. When he heard about the coming judgment, he's, that's what he's saying, he's trembling. And then he, then he said, that I might wait or rest in the day of trouble. Now that word wait is not the same word for wait that you and I think about. Do you like to wait now, you see, when I say that word, you're thinking of somebody, you, know, you drop your spouse off in the store and you're waiting in the car. You're absolutely doing nothing. Unless you're like me, I'm snoozing. <laughs> Depends on what it is. But we don't like to wait. And I guarantee you don't like to wait. If you pull up a website and it doesn't come up instantly, you're already going someplace else. You don't like to wait, do you? But that's not what this word means. Because Isaiah used that word, he says, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So what does it mean? It means those who hope, those who maintain an earnest expectation. During this time, I still have an earnest expectation that God's here, God's gonna show up, that God's strong. 
When David says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage, he shall strengthen your heart. He's saying, keep your hope in the Lord, hold on in tough times, and he will strengthen you to wait, to maintain an earnest expectation. J. Vernon McGee says that Habakkuk begins with a question mark, ends with an exclamation point. I like what Dr. John Wolvard wrote. He was a Bible scholar from DTS. He said, Habakkuk's book begins with an interrogation of God, but ends as an intercession to God. Worry is transformed into worship. Fear turns into faith. Terror becomes trust. Hangups are resolved with hope. Anguish melts into adoration. And then Habakkuk turns to rejoicing. He remembers God's faithfulness. Verse 17, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vine, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet or hind's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. That phrase, my feet, speaks of the journey through life. Several things here. He basically says, if my standard of living changes, my standard of life will not. That's worth writing down. He says, if my standard of living changes, in other words, if stock market drops, if all the food's gone on the shelf, if I don't have any money to buy food, there's no gas, the enemy's camped around us, if my standard of living changes, my standard of life, my trust in God will not change. In fact, that, that phrase, my feet, he will make my feet like deer's feet. If you've been to Israel and you go down close to the Dead Sea, it's a mountainous, mountainous area, you're probably going to see a deer, but it's an ibex. It's not like the white-tailed deer we have here, but it's an ibex. It's more like a goat. And that goat can go up the side of a hill incredibly fast and precise and doesn't fall. And you've seen pictures of these mountain goats that can just almost go up a straight wall. That's the picture he said. He's going to put my feet, my life, on stable ground. Even in the heights. Even in the times when there seems to be a precipice around me. Even in times when there's danger around me. He's going to keep me stable. He's going to help me through life. Make my feet like hinds' feet, and I will not stumble. It reminds me of Ephesians 6 where he says, having put on the whole armor of God, that having done all, we are able to stand against the forces of evil. Only God can put your feet there. I want to close with this illustration. When I say the word Rembrandt, you think of paintings, and rightfully so. Can you imagine, I want you to use your imagination with me here. Can you imagine an ant crawling across a Rembrandt painting? Now all an ant can see is right there on it. 
So he may start a cross and everything is brown. He doesn't like brown. This is awful. He keeps on going and all of a sudden, everything's red. And maybe everything's yellow or green or whatever color. All the colors of the palette. But that ant never does see the finished portrait. All he sees is what he's walking on at that time. Well, God is painting a masterpiece with your life. And maybe all you see is the brown or the green or the red. And it may not be until you get to heaven that you see the full picture that God has painted with your life. But folks, we have to, in those days, we go from our perplexity and our anxiety and our pain to saying, God, I still praise you no matter what has happened to me, no matter how broken my heart is, no matter how angry I've been at you, I still trust and praise you. You will never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And when Jesus is what you have, then and only then will you discover that Jesus is all you need. And if you don't know Jesus, you have no hope. He is our hope. He's our only hope. We've been singing about him all morning. And if you don't know Jesus, if you're watching online and you don't know Christ, you can know him now. If you're here in this room, you may be religious, you may have gone to church, but that doesn't change your life. Only the presence of God in your life gives you peace. And that comes by repenting of your sin, asking God to forgive you, placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and giving him your life. And he says, I will put my spirit in you. And that brings peace. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We know it's true. And we thank you that even in the difficult times when we can't see your hand, we can still trust you. I pray for those today without Jesus and pray that they would know that their sin is not going to go unnoticed and that one day they will stand in the judgment because of their sin unless they turn to you in forgiveness, asking for forgiveness and placing their faith and trust in Jesus. And Lord, we pray that someone today, even now, would come from darkness to light from death to life and be born again into you. Lord, I pray for the Christians. I know that some of them are probably, even now, still upset about something that's gone on in their life. Maybe someone died that shouldn't have. Maybe they're going through some trials or, or turmoils. God, would you please show them that you're still there? They just need to go to a higher plane and, and trust you. And Lord, I pray you'd make yourself real and known to them. I pray for those that need a church home. Thank you for the way that you keep bringing people here. I pray for those that need to be baptized like these that have been baptized today. And so Lord, we trust you now. We, we come to you committing ourselves to you. If you're watching us online, you can either hit that connect button or you can text the word living hope. One word, no space, living hope to 474747.
You can do that in this room if you want. There's cards in the seat pockets in front of you. You can fill out your commitment. You can put your prayer request there. Or some of us will be standing up here at the front after we're dismissed and be glad to pray with you and to visit with you about any commitment on your heart. Lord, I pray that no one will turn you away today. I pray that you encourage believers who may be going through a difficult time, reminding them there that you're there, you're still on the throne. Help them to think about it, to meditate on it. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your love for us and for the commitments that have been made today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.